Yeah, thanks, Andrew. And, and we're actually, if you grab one of those black Bibles in the chair in front of you, I think we're just on page 11. So that's an easy one to find. You could open up that Bible and turn to page 11 and we will be there together. If we don't know each other, uh, let me say good morning. My name's Brian. I'm the pastor here at Mount Hope in Belmont. And it is good to be here. I'll tell you, I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit nervous. I'm not going to lie. I'm a little bit nervous that when they write the annals of the history of Mount Hope, that they'll say everything was going great. And then it all kind of started to, to really get tense and fall apart. And the historians will look into it and they'll trace it back to a volleyball game that happened between the young adults and the youth group. Uh, but I think it's going to be a great time. Uh, I, hope it, I hope it stays civil, but that, that sounds like a good time. I, I aged out of that ministry like two years ago. Uh, which makes me very sad, but I'm sure it's, maybe I can go watch or something with everyone else. Uh, it is great, great to see you today. Let me ask you a question as we get into, get into God's word together. Picture this with me. You walk into a restaurant. You walk into a restaurant, it's Friday night. And uh, as, as happens on Friday night, the place is packed. People are out again. And you wind your way through the crowd of people that's huddled together inside there because it's spring in New England and it's still 25 degrees. And you get to the booth and you say to them, well, it's a party of four. And they say, okay, it's going to be 15 minutes. And you say, well, that doesn't sound bad. So they give you one of those pagers and you hold on to your pager and you go and you tell the other people, they said 15 minutes. And you start talking and you look down at your watch and it's been 20 minutes. And in your mind, you start saying to yourself, I really thought this pager would have buzzed by now because they told me 15 minutes. And then you start looking around and you notice something. You notice a pager go off in a group next to you of four people. And you watch them walk up to the stand and you watch the get menus and get taken to a seat. And you say to yourself, I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure that they came in after us. Now, here's my question. As you stand there with your buzzer in hand and as you watch groups that came after you walk into the restaurant and get seated, how long do you wait until you walk up to that stand and say something? How many of you, let's just do an informal survey. This is very unscientific. How many of you, it's right away? The same, <laughs> yeah. You have no problem raising your hand, that group. You are right away, right? In fact, you already talked to them at minute 16, right? That's, that's you. How many, how many of you believe this is, so this is me. This is my group right here. How many of you watch that happen and you say to yourself, well, there's probably a good reason. They probably called ahead or Bill, Bill, you and I are in the same. We're the only ones willing to admit that. Yeah, much more tentative group of hands there. And I noticed as a couple here, we're very split, right? Joe would take care of that right away. I, all of us have this tipping point, right? None, I'm, I'm going to just get a guess. None of us would sit there until the restaurant closes, holding our buzzer, just waiting for, for them to lock up and send us home. None of us would wait that long. But there's a tipping point for all of us, isn't there? Where we're waiting for something that we were promised. And it's not coming to happen. And there's a certain point. Some of us, it's, we're right away. We're like, hey, you told us this was going to happen. It's not happening. We have a problem. Some of us are willing to tell ourselves a story and wait a little bit longer. Let me ask you this question. When God says something 
and God promises something and you find yourself in God's waiting room, how long is it until you're willing to take matters into your own hands? How long until you feel like it's, it's time to get started and to do something? Because just like there's a tipping point for all of us in that restaurant lobby, there's really a, a tipping point for, for all of us when it comes to taking matters into our own hands and trying to make something happen rather than waiting on God. And this morning, we're back in our series on, on Abraham and the origins of our faith, we're calling it. This is, this is our origin story of our faith. And, and we're in that place and just like it's tempting when we're in God's waiting room to take matters into our own hands, we're going to hit a story in Abram's life here and his wife, Sarai, where they were in the waiting room and they were waiting for God to do something that he promised to do. And they were really tempted to go ahead and take matters into their own hands. We're going to read through all of chapter 16 together in Genesis this morning and take a look at this story. This is a story that I think uh, for many of us in our modern ears, in our modern context, it, it can be a hard one to understand. So we're going to try to understand this together and hear what we're learning about God as, he, as we walk through this story. So Genesis chapter 16, verse 1, this is what we read. Now Sarai... Abram's wife had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant that it may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And she went into Hagar and she conceived. So what's happening here? Well, let's take a moment and back up because if you were with us last week, or if you've been with us over the past few weeks, you've kind of started to hear the story of Abram. And if you're joining us for the first time, we're really glad that you're here. Here's the story. God finds this man, Abram, and promises Abram, if Abram will follow him, that he will bless Abram with a child and with many, many descendants. He'll be the father of a nation. In fact, God says to Abram, I will bless all people through you. And last week, Andrew preached and did an amazing job talking about this incredible interaction between God and Abram. In fact, I would say it's one of the most, one of the most significant interactions that happens between God and humans in scripture, where God makes a covenant with Abram and says, I promise you, Abram, that I will do this, that I will give you the land I have promised you, and I will give you a son, and you will have many descendants. Now, why is that significant? It's significant because at that point, Abram and Sarai, his wife, are both very old. They're past the age of being able to conceive and have children. And yet the scripture says that Abram believed God and took him at his word. Now you can imagine being Abram and having held on to this promise 
for years. And then this incredibly significant moment where God comes and makes a promise with Abraham that he's going to do it. And now we come to this passage. And did you catch it in the text where we just read? How many years it's been since God made that promise? There's a gap between the end of chapter 15 and this story in chapter 16. The text tells us Abram has been living in the land for, did anyone catch it? I hear some mumbles. 10 years, that's right. So another decade on top. Another decade of waiting. Another decade of trying to believe. Another decade of getting older. And I don't know where your tipping point is when you're waiting on God to do something and fulfill his promise and come through for you. But Sarai reaches her tipping point in this passage. She says right there in verse two, she says, listen, it's become clear that God's not going to allow me to have a child. Now, God has promised this and he has come through in pretty amazing ways, showing up, if you were with us last week in chapter 15, his actual presence being next to Abram and making this covenantal promise. And yet 10 years later of silence and waiting, Sarai's coming back to Abram and that thing has, that belief meter has tipped. And she says, all right, it's become clear that God's not going to do this. So here we go, Abram. Why don't you take my servant, the Egyptian Hagar, as a wife and you can have a child through her? Now, to us, I think that sounds, um, could sound barbaric, could sound, um, it just doesn't hit our ears well, that whole process. But I think sometimes we have to be willing to put ourselves back 1,800 years before Jesus came to this earth, about 4,000 years ago. And if we were to do some research and if we were to look at what scholars have found of, of the things of that day and the rules of that day, having a male heir to carry on family legacy and also having a male heir who could provide for the people around him, it was very much about provision and taking care of in our modern day, it's about, it's about love and about romance. But there were some more practical elements here, living in that time period and living in the harsh environments and realities of the day that people needed to be provided for women and children. If there wasn't a male heir to come up with in the next generation who could do that, there was a real possibility that people would suffer as a result. And so the laws of the day, the laws of the day say very clearly, that if a husband's wife is unable to have a male heir, that what they're doing here with Hagar involved is acceptable. And you put yourself in Abram and Sarai's shoes. And I've, I've heard many sermons about, about how, they've, how they've gone too far and how they violated God's law and all of these things. And yes, they've indeed violated God's law. But here's the problem for Abram and Sarai. They don't have God's law yet. It's not there. This is pre-Moses, pre-Ten Commandments, pre-all of that. And so Abram and Sarai are in God's waiting room. 
And Sarai especially, explicitly in the text, has reached a tipping point. And she's looking around and she's saying, Abram, it's not going to happen. You keep telling me that God's doing all these things and that he's promising us it's going to happen. It's not going to happen that way. So let's look at the systems that we have available around us, what people do around us to make things happen. And we're going to go ahead and do that. And the text says, Abram agreed. Now, if anyone should have pushed back in this situation, it's Abram. He's the one that had the promise. He's the one that's met God multiple times, but he doesn't. So there's something to think about there in our world. Because we are used to having things happen quickly, aren't we? Our timelines are short. I mean, it wasn't that long ago. I was watching a, a TV show uh, not that long ago. I saw an episode of an old TV show I used to like, and it was from the mid-90s. And the person in the middle of the, of the show uh, hadn't heard about something, and he was joking around, and he said, he said, I really got to get on that email. And I thought to myself, well, that's crazy that in 1994, 1995, when this show was made, that email was so brand new that this person wasn't even on it yet. And they were using payphones in the show, and just reminded me a little bit of what life was like and how much it's changed. Now, if something won't show up on my doorstep in two days when I order it online, it's not worth it. I don't even need it. <laughs> Our timelines have shifted so much. But do you know what? God's timelines haven't shifted at all. And in our lives, as our timelines have shifted, and we want everything to happen immediately, God is still working in an eternal time frame. This 10-year gap is nothing for the Lord and his perspective and all he's going to do in and through Abram and Sarai. But for Abram and Sarai, 10 years feels like forever. And so often in our lives, we reach these tipping points. I feel like so often I can see it in, in relationships where someone wants to be in a relationship and God would say, wait, I'll bring the right person. And they wait and they wait and they wait and it's lonely and it's tough. And eventually there's a tipping point where we say, I'm just going to start this relationship. I'm not sure that God's in it. And in fact, I'm, I'm going to have to rationalize a few things to make this happen, but, but it's better than being alone. And I think sometimes it happens with our, with our finances. It's, it's tax time. And I know for myself, if I'm just being really honest with you, this isn't a tithing message, but I believe God calls us to tithe. I believe he calls us to give 10% back to his work. And so we practice that as a family and, and try to increase that even a little bit year over year and try to practice that. But when you get together and do your taxes and you put those numbers together and you see that, that final number at the end of the year compared to the rest of your income, uh, it's, it's a, you start, your brain starts to go. You start to think, well, we, imagine what we could have done. The trip we could have taken, the work we could have done around the house. 
And the question becomes, am I going to wait on God and trust that he will provide? Or am I going to take matters in my own hands? And there's all sorts of things like this with our careers and our families and our personal lives where we have to wait on the Lord and for him to come through. And it feels like God's taking way too long. And we ask God to adjust his timeline to ours. But my question for you this morning is, are you willing to adjust your timeline to his? Because here's what happens in our lives. When we're in God's waiting room, it's really tempting to take matters into our own hands. But when we take matters into our own hands, things get out of hand, don't they? Things happen that don't need to happen. And that's exactly what happens to Sarai and Hagar and Abram in this story. Look at, look at the second half of verse 4 here. And when she saw, this is when, when uh, Hagar saw that she had conceived. She looked with contempt on her mistress and Sarai said to Abraham, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her and she fled from her. Abram and Sarai, their, their meter, tips. And they take matters into their own hands here. And what happens is, is that everybody in the story is affected in a negative way. There didn't need to be. God was going to come through on his promise. And it didn't need to be that there would be tension between Abram and Sarai in their marriage. And it didn't need to be that there would be tension between Hagar and Sarai in their relationship. And it didn't need to be that, that Sarai would deal harshly with Hagar, so much so that Hagar would flee and leave, now pregnant and alone in the desert, in the wilderness. All of those things didn't need to be true, but they were true because rather than wait on God's timeline, Abram and Sarai began to take matters into their own hands a little bit. And I don't know if you can in your life find those places where you, you suffered some sort of, some sort of uh, pain or people around you suffered some sort of pain because you tried to move too quickly and rather than wait on the Lord or maybe you suffered a little bit because rather than wait on the Lord, you moved and you tried to take matters into your own hands and things just start to fall apart, don't they? You know, a couple years ago uh, when the pandemic first started, and it's amazing. I mean, we're two years this Sunday. It was the Sunday we canceled two years ago. In some ways, it feels like it went very quickly. And in other ways, it feels like it's been a long time, doesn't it? So two years ago, we made this decision to not have church in person for two weeks, which, of course, turned into months. 
And it put us in a little bit of a scramble because we needed technology that we didn't have before to try and put our services online and to try and get the internet up and running at a speed we could do it and get cameras and all sorts of things. And I'll tell you how my brain works. Is my brain works, I've got to get this done. And so poor, uh, I think uh, Ting was, was helping me around the church in those days more. And so Ting and I would, would spend the entire day in this building running ethernet cable and trying to figure out cameras and installing things and screwing in things into the wall. And then, but I forgot. I forgot that God had put pretty amazing people in our congregation. And now they have lives outside of church. They work and they have families. So they couldn't get here as quickly as I could get here. And so I went and I, and I started putting things in the wall and I started running cables and all sorts of stuff. And then people like Bill Meany Jr., who only the Lord knows how many hours of volunteer work he's put into this building because he won't tell me. All I know is I show up and things are different and they're better. People like Bill Meany Jr. would come in and he would see the wires I ran and he would see the cameras that I had poor Ting screw into the wall and he would say, nope. And we would take all the wire back out and we would take the cameras down the way I'd done them and he'd put them back in and they'd work a thousand times better. And then I'd try to configure everything on the computers and try to figure everything out. And then Mark Summers, who's sitting up in the balcony, came to me and he said, do you know what my work study was in college? I said, no. And he said, I ran all the cameras for the Ohio State football games during, for the stadium. Uh, that was what I did. I directed the whole thing. And so I very quickly took my hands off the keyboard and said, why don't you figure out the cameras uh, for Sunday morning? And he did. And they're awesome. And last week I came in to the building and the hinge on this door had fallen off. It had ripped out of the door. And I went to my car and I grabbed, some of you know what I'm talking about because you were in the service last week. I went to my car and I grabbed my little bag of tools and I came in and I screwed it back into the door and I thought, well, that's good. And then mid-service, poor Garris Papajani, uh, he walked up and he pushed the door and the whole thing popped out in the middle of the service and made this big clanging noise. And everybody looked and I had to say, it's not his fault, that's my fault. I got impatient and I tried to fix it. It would have been way better if I just left it there because after service, A couple of people like Don and Bill stayed and Mike Corcoran stayed and they know how to do this stuff way better than me. And look, it's great now because I waited for them and they helped me out. And there's so many places in life, isn't there? Where we just go. And it it ends up creating all sorts of extra struggle and challenge. I want to pause here for a moment. Because it's really difficult to make one-to-one comparisons from Abram and Sarai's position to ours. And some of you may be wondering, you know, pastor, we struggled to have children. And so we went to doctors and the doctors helped us. And it was a real blessing. Are you saying that we shouldn't have done that? And I just want to be clear. I'm not saying that at all. Because Abram and Sarai here had a very specific promise from the Lord. And so the one-to-one comparison that I'm asking you to consider is where in your life has God made promises? Or where in your life has God said something to you and you are tempted to shortcut the process? 
And if I did an interview with everybody in here, chances are we'd have some things similar, but we'd also have other things that are very unique to us. This situation of a son promised that would bless the nations is very unique to Abram and Sarai. And I want you to know something this morning. Because some of you really identify with Sarai in this story. You get frustrated with God. Things aren't happening the way that you wanted them to. You thought you'd be further in your career. You thought you'd be married by now. You thought you'd have kids by now. You thought life would look different by now. You thought those things would have been taken care of, the financial obligations, the legal obligations, all of those things. And you're like Sarai this morning, and you're just at this point where you're like, I guess God's not going to do it. Or maybe you're Abram in this story. And you see someone close to you wanting to shortcut the process and you should say something. Could be a family member. You should stand up for the promise of God. And you're not saying anything right now. You're just watching it all happen. And maybe you're Hagar this morning. Maybe that's the person you understand in this story. People around you have made painful decisions. And you've been the victim in those. Hagar, the servant girl from Egypt, did not have a voice here. She was obligated. And she suffers as a result. And now here she is in the wilderness, pregnant and alone. Not because of choices she made, but the choices that were made around her. I don't know where you fall in the story, but I do know this. I do know that even when things get out of hand, God still has you in his hands. And even when things get out of hand, God still has you in his hands. Abram and Sarai, if we were to fast forward to chapter 17, they have a son. God comes through on his promise. And watch what God does for Hagar. Verse 7. The angel of the Lord found Hagar by a spring of water in the wilderness the spring on the way to shore. And if we were to draw a map and we were to look up shore on the map, we would see that Hagar is headed back to Egypt. She's going home. She's the Egyptian servant. She is on her way back to Egypt. She's out of there. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. What does that sound like? Sounds like exactly what God said to Abram. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You should call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all of his kinsmen. 
So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly, I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the well was called Ber Lahai Roy, for it lies between Gadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Hagar is alone, pregnant in the wilderness by a spring. And God shows up. And he says to Hagar, Hagar, I want you to know something. I see you and I hear you. In fact, I want you to name your son Ishmael, which means God hears. Because I've heard you in your affliction. I see the pain that you're walking through. And because of this decision, because of the short-circuiting of, short, short of God's promise, there was going to be struggle and challenge in that moment. And, and the angel's telling, telling Hagar, listen, in the generations to come, there's going to be challenges between the offspring of Ishmael and Abram's eventual son, Isaac. There's going to be challenges over the generations between those two groups. But Hagar, I see you and I hear you in your affliction. I want you to go back where you are safe and taken care of and where, where you will have what you need. And I'm with you. And Hagar names this place in the text in English, the well of the God who sees. And I want you to know this morning that just because someone has short-circuited God's plan and either you've made that decision to short-circuit God's plan or someone near you has done it and it has caused you pain and struggle, God still sees and God still hears and God's plans will come about and God will provide for you. And even Hagar here is in some ways brought into the promise she was never a part of. You too will have multitudes come from your line, God says. Faith waits in God's waiting room, knowing that God, God's hands hold it all. Faith waits in God's waiting room, knowing that God's hands hold it all. I'm going to invite our worship team to come back this morning as we prepare to close. And as they come, I thought of a, I thought of a, a story of a close friend of mine when I was thinking and praying through this passage. And I called him up yesterday and I asked him if I could share it with you. And he said, sure. And I think maybe if you've, if you've been at the church for a while, uh, you might've heard this story before. So bear with me. But for me in my life, it's the, it's the, the, the clearest example I have of someone realizing they're short-circuiting God's plan and realizing that God still holds them in their hands. My wife and I were sitting in a community group meeting a number of years ago, and our friend Jay was in the meeting. And we were watching this DVD video teaching. That's how long ago it was. We had a DVD uh, video teaching. 
And Chip Ingram was the, was the gentleman who was doing the teaching. And he, he said this, he said it, it, the course was called the five lies that ruin relationships. And one of the lies is the most unique lie I've ever heard anyone say about ruining relationships. And he said this very specifically. He said, he said, um, upwardly mobile job opportunities are not always the will of God. That's a, that's a lie that ruins relationships. And I, of all the lies that someone could have come out with, with five lies that ruin relationships, I would have never expected that one. Upwardly mobile job opportunities are not always the will of God. And my friend Jay was sitting in our community group and that one hit him square between the eyes. And he said to our group, he said, listen, he said, I took a job about three weeks ago and I should have never have taken it. But I was in my position and the position I had was fine. But this job opportunity came open and it is a massive step up. When I tell people my position right now, they say, oh, that's nice. When I tell them my new position, they say, wow, that's great. You're so young. He says more money, but he said there's some problems. I have to leave the house an hour earlier and I get home an hour later. I really don't like the culture. He said, in fact, I, I sent an email to my team when I first got there and I said, hey, coffee and pastries in my office, stop by, I'd love to meet you this morning. And he said, my boss walked in my office and said, that's not how we do things here. He said, but that's how I like to do things. <laughs> he said, I knew I shouldn't have taken it. I knew I was short-circuiting God's plan. And he's like, I gotta quit. Only three weeks. I got I to gotta back, back out of this. And he went and he resigned. And God still had his old job waiting for him back at the place where he used to work. And he, he quit his new job one day and went right back into his old job. And they were so happy he was back. And I look now, 15 years later, his career is back up here. He's a great position with a great organization. But it's totally different when it happens in God's time. And so if you know you're in that place where you're short-circuiting God's plan, it's not too late. God still sees you. He'll redeem it and bring you back to where you should be. Who are you this morning? You Abram? You Sarai? You Hagar? And would you take your life? Would you put it in his hands this morning? Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for who you are this morning. And that in a world that is volatile and uncertain and complex and ambiguous, Lord, you are sure. You are the one who never changes and your promises are true. We can hold on to those. And Lord, I pray for the person that's sitting in this room or who's watching us online this morning and they know that they've taken steps they shouldn't have taken to try to short circuit your promises and your plan in their life. God, I pray today for the strength in your Holy Spirit to change course and to change direction and to do what it is that you're calling them to do. God, I pray for the person today that's hurting because of the decisions made by those around them. It's not right. 
It's unjust. It's unfair. Lord, I pray today that they would know that you see them and that they would hear your voice and that they would trust that you can redeem even the harshest of conditions. Lord, we take all of this and we put it in your hands. Take it out of our hands and our solutions and give it to you. And we trust you with it. In Jesus' name, amen.